believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And the rest of Romans 4, Paul breaks that down. And part of breaking that verse down starts in verse 9. Now look at our scripture for today. Verses, let me just read through 12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And when you're reading the Bible and you read Romans chapter 4, maybe for the first time, maybe you haven't... Maybe, maybe you're just now learning the Bible or learning biblical teaching or learning what Christianity is. We have a basic question when we read a chapter like this. Like, what's all this, what's all this stuff about Abraham? Like, why is Abraham such an important topic? And Paul even says that Abraham is our father or the father of all who believe. Like, what does that mean? Like, why is Abraham so important? And to understand the importance of Abraham, what you have to remember is the narrative and the flow of thought in the book of Genesis. Now, Genesis is an easy book to understand because what Genesis proclaims in Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is that humanity is absolutely fallen away from God and totally rebelled against the Creator, right? It repeats it over and over and over again. The universal history of human beings is rebellion against God. In fact, in my own scripture reading this week, in my own private scripture reading time, I read this verse from Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, which sums up all of Genesis chapter 1 through 11. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is the state of human beings. Total depravity, radical corruption, rebellion against God, exchanging the glory of God for idols, worshiping money, power, things, manifested in murder, greed, envy, Everything, and it all starts with a heart where we should be in deep communion with God. We're in rebellion against God from human beings. And so God is outlining in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, it's bad, right? It's really, really bad. But when Genesis chapter 12 comes along, we meet a character by the name of Abraham. And Abraham begins a new story of redemption, God chooses Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to use you to bring the medicine and the solution to bring fallen human beings back to myself. Through you, God says, I will bless the nations of the world. Through you and in relationship to you, I'm going to give you descendants and those descendants will be a new humanity that worships me, that's saved and that's redeemed. It's the history of redemption when we meet Abraham. 
So the question from Genesis chapter 12 verse and, and all the way through the rest of the Bible is, well, my goodness, I got to get related to Abraham in order to be related to God in redemption. One way or the other, the only way I'm going to leave fallen humanity and join redeemed humanity is going to come through Abraham. Now, in the history of the Bible and in the history of Jewish teaching, the way to be related to Abraham in order to be right with God was through what we call circumcision. Right? If you're circumcised physically, then you're related to Abraham. If you're related to Abraham physically through circumcision, then you are now reconciled to God and redeemed to God. And yet in Romans chapter 4, Paul begins to break down that idea as false. That it's not a physical relationship with Abraham that joins us to redeemed humanity, but that it's faith alone. That it is the faith that Abraham had in God's promise that also saves us faith in the promise of God and ultimately the fulfillment of God. That's why in verse 3, Paul quotes Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in verse 16, if you skip down to verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It is our faith that's like Abraham's faith that redeems and saves us and not because of anything else. It is faith alone, as we talked about last week. Now, the key word in this chapter to really bring this to fruition is the word counted. You saw it said there first in verse 3. Abraham believed God, and by faith alone, it was counted to him as righteousness. That word counted is now used ten times in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 is saying you have to be righteous in order to be right with God. And the way to be right, to be right with God is by faith alone, by faith in the promise of God. The righteousness of God is counted to you. Last week we talked about that that word's an accountant word. It's a, it's a, it's a word that really talks about accounts. Righteousness is credited to our account. Righteousness is imputed to us, not imparted to us, by faith alone. Our account was empty. God credits to our account a righteousness that's not our own. That's what we talked about last week. I was trying to think of how to illustrate that very idea. The idea that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I thought about when I first went to college. The first time I went to college... I had, to, I had to do two runs at college. The first time didn't work out so good. The second time did. First time I went to college, I went to a Baptist college in Oklahoma, Baptist University, which might explain to you some things. Amen. Right? I went to a Baptist University. I moved out of my home. I moved in with my brother into an apartment, and I started going to school, and I had an account. I had a checking account. Now, that checking account was supposed to have money, but guess who spent too much money all the time? Me. I always ate McDonald's at lunchtime. Can I get an amen? I always overspent my money, and guess what? I would run out of money in my account. You know what I would do? 
call up dad. Dad, I'm out of money. And what dad would do is he would credit or wire to my bank account, to my checking account, his money. Now, was that money that I had earned? No. It was his money. He credited and imputed to my bank account money that was not my own, but he gave to me free of charge. When the Bible talks about us receiving righteousness that makes us right with God by faith, it is saying that we are receiving what is God's and not our own, what we have not earned or achieved. And it's saying that Abraham was saved the right way. Abraham was not saved by works. Abraham was not saved because he earned it. Abraham heard a promise and believed in it, and God credited to Abraham's spiritual account the righteousness of God, an alien righteousness. Of course, this justification by faith alone really indicates the blessing of justification by faith alone. It means we're forgiven, as David says in Psalm 32. We are considered what we are not, righteous by faith alone. Now, as Paul begins to talk about this and continue to draw it out, he wants to eliminate all other additives to to faith that we might be tempted to add to faith. He wants to eliminate this idea that we're saved by faith plus something else. And so the first thing he says in our text is he says, it's by faith alone that Abraham was saved and not faith plus circumcision. You see that in verses 9 through 12. Let's look at it again. Look at verse 9. Is this blessing, what blessing? The blessing of justification by faith alone. The blessing of being made right with God, of God giving us a righteousness that's not our own. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Of course, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's saying, He's saying the Jewish person is objecting and saying, well, I hear that you're saying that Abraham was saved by faith alone, but surely that's for circumcised people and not for uncircumcised people. Jewish people believed that the right of circumcision was what made people acceptable to God and gave them the ability to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, rabbis taught that Abraham sat outside, just outside of the gates of hell, To make sure that no circumcised man would enter into hell. They taught that if you were circumcised, that you would go into heaven. Because you were physically related to Abraham. So it was circumcision that made people right with God. And Paul is saying it's not faith plus circumcision. In fact, he makes two arguments to prove that it can't be faith plus circumcision. Look at what he says in verse 10. How then was it counted to him? That is, how was righteousness counted to Abraham? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. And now Paul is referring to the simple chronological fact of Genesis. That when Genesis says in Genesis 15 verse 6 that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness... 
That happened in Genesis chapter 15, whereas Abraham's circumcision didn't happen until Genesis chapter 17. In fact, in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham is 99 years old when he gets circumcised. Everybody say, ouch. All right? He took a flint knife at 99 years old. And yet God declares in Genesis 15, according to rabbinic math, 29 years before Genesis 17, Genesis 15 says, Abraham is declared righteous because he believed in the promise without having been circumcised. In fact, Genesis 15, Abraham is still just like you and I, Gentile, uncircumcised. And Paul is saying it's at that time that Abraham is declared righteous. That way, everybody could be like Abraham, whether circumcised or not circumcised, could believe in the promise of God and by faith alone in the promise of God, which of course is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we would be made right with God without the rite or ceremony of circumcision. But Paul's second argument against faith plus circumcision makes us right with God is that circumcision is misunderstood if it's seen as a way or a gateway to heaven. Look at verse 11. He said that Abraham, when he did receive the sign of circumcision, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He's saying that the purpose of circumcision was not to be a gate to heaven. The purpose of circumcision was a sign. It pointed beyond itself to a message. You know, it's kind of like when you think about a sign, you think about uh, directions, a destination. If you and I decide to drive down to Oklahoma City and we're in the car and we're driving and we see the sign that says Oklahoma City this way, We don't stop the car and say, kids, get outside, get your pillows, let's get a campfire, we're going to hang out. We have arrived at the sign of Oklahoma City. We go, I know that's kind of a dumb illustration, but it works. Paul is saying circumcision points beyond itself. In fact, it points beyond itself to such an extent to where once you reach the destination in which it points to, it's no longer relevant. Circumcision is a seal. A sign and a seal. It's a guarantee. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So it's interesting because Jewish people said to Gentiles, well, it's nice that you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, fulfillment of the prophecies. That's really nice. But you need Jesus plus circumcision in order to be related to Abraham. And what Paul, here's the irony. Paul is saying that circumcision is actually something that should tell the Jews that it's not circumcision, but it's faith alone that saves them. And so Gentiles could actually point to the Jews and say, your circumcision actually points to the fact that I can be made right with God by faith alone because it's a sign. It's a sign. He says that the purpose, I love this in verse 11, The reason why it's faith alone and not circumcision, he says, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. 
And if you come from an irreligious background or a non-Jewish background, if you are like I was when, I, when Jesus found me, a pagan, an idol worshiper, a, 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 a caught in bondage, caught in sin, caught in evil intentions of the heart continually all the time, and you're trying to find your way back to God, listen to me. You don't have to look to ceremony or ritual or religion. What you can do, do is receive in your empty hands the promise of God. And when Abraham was saved that way, it tells all of us, that we can be saved that way as well. All you got to do is respond to the promise, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That's why this is so important. The See, it's not like we came to church today and said, man, I hope Josh talks about circumcision today. That's what I need to know about this week. You know what I mean? But here's the human, prob- here's the, here's the human condition. The human condition is we know we got a problem. We know we need to be healed. We know we need to be made right with God. We know we need what only God can, can give to us. And what human nature does is it looks to things that you can see and touch. It looks to ritual and religion. It looks to things that you can control. It looks to formulas because we're convinced it's a formula that our problem is something to be managed and we need religion and sacrament and stained glass or we need water or we need a, a priest to bless us or, or we need to go somewhere special or we need to call that 800 number on the religious television TV where they say, hey, we've got special water from the River Jordan and if you'll send in $25, we'll send it to you and it's got a special anointing and you can slap it in your face and all your problems will go away and your bills will be paid and everything will happen. Or you can buy this little birdie that really reflects these things. You can put it on your mantle and you can look at it and remember that Jesus loves you like a dove or something like that. And we begin to look at things we can control. And what the Bible is telling us is get rid of ceremony, get rid of ritual, get rid of religion and walk in a relationship that's defined by faith and faith alone. That's why he says That Abraham is our father. It's a family. It's a family. And he says that we walk in the footsteps. Everybody say footsteps. I love that picture. That's not religion. That's a relationship, isn't it? You know, when Sherry and I, uh, sometimes she gets me off my couch, right? And that's supposed to be funny. I'm just not, (laughs) I'm not very funny today. You're like, it's like Nemo, you know, you're a clownfish. You're supposed to be funny up there. I'm not. I'm not funny today. But for a clownfish, you're not very funny. That's not even funny. Uh, no, but Sherry sometimes gets me off the couch, and she'll get me to take a walk with her. And there's two ways to have a great relationship, either eat together or walk together. Isn't that true? Thank you. Thank you for the laughter. Pity laughter is always the best. When he describes Abraham walking with God, he describes a relationship. And he says, we can walk in the footsteps of Abraham by faith alone. Too many of us, we depend on our works or our religious rituals as opposed to faith alone. Nothing else can make us right but faith Paul moves from, it's not faith plus circumcision. He says, it, nor is it 
faith plus the law. Look at verses 13 and following. Paul says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. You know, when you read Galatians, Paul would go on to say in the book of Galatians that the, that the law of God came 460 years after the life of Abraham. So chronologically, again, if the law was how Abraham was going to be made right with God, then God would have done, the first thing God would have done is sent Abraham up on Sinai and given Abraham the Ten Commandments and said, here's the law. But in fact, the law came many years afterwards because God knew that the human condition could never follow the law of God. And so if we could never follow the law of God and make ourselves righteous, the only thing the law can do is bring transgression. And if it brings transgression, it brings wrath. So it can't be faith plus the accomplishment or the performance of the law that makes us right. It must be faith alone that makes us right with God. Here's the truth that Romans relentlessly tells us and that the Bible relentlessly tells us. You will not accomplish the righteousness of God. You can't be moral enough. You can't be good enough because your heart is broken and you're weak. And you, if you're looking to your own performance to give you security and assurance with God, you will be devastated with the outcome. It won't work. You know, there's all these zombie movies out today, right? There's, right now, all these zombie movies are coming out in the TV show, The Walking Dead. That is our spiritual condition. We are the walking dead spiritually. And how can zombies follow the law of God? They can't because they're zombies. And you and I have a zombie condition. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. And the only thing that can happen is a regeneration process by the Holy Spirit to where we're born again and then we believe in the promise of God. That is what heals us and gives us new life and assurance and security with God. And it's that security that brings about a renewed heart that will follow God. Not in the strength that we provide ourselves, but in the strength he provides by his Holy Spirit. You see, the law brings nothing but righteousness. And you guys are, I know, I do this too. You begin to look to your own, like, I wonder if God likes me today. I wonder if I've been good enough today. Or we look at somebody else and we say, I bet you God likes them a lot more than me. Because they sure do look moral. They give more money than me. They're more philanthropic or they're more spiritual or they pray more. I bet you God likes him because he wakes up every day at four. He fasts twice a week. I bet you God likes him more because he's more righteous. Beloved, you're not going to be loved any less or any more than the love you have in Jesus Christ. Amen. And it is not. It is not our works that gives us security with God. It is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And to look to the law. And listen, Paul is not canonizing spiritual laziness. He's not saying here, hey, you know what? You just should go do whatever you want. That's not his point. Nor is he condemning the law. The law is good. It's given from Moses. It's perfect and pleasing. But the only thing it can do with any kind of effect is just show us how far we've fallen. 
And while the law has a place in the life of believers, which Romans will outline later, when it comes to our justification and no condemnation and our security in belonging to the family of God, belonging to the family of Abraham, we cannot look to the law. We must look to our faith in Jesus that gives us security. That's how we know we are loved. You see, the law can only bring transgression, which can only bring wrath. And anyone who looks to their own works or efforts or morality, they're going to be surprised when they face the judgment of God if that's what they're going to take. Only wrath awaits them. All the good people of the world, only wrath outside of Christ. Everybody needs Jesus, religious and irreligious. In fact, religious people need the gospel just as much as immoral, irreligious people, perhaps even more because of the arrogance and the pride of religion. Religion is prideful. It produces pride in people because people assume that they can please God in their own efforts. They can't. And so Paul moves to the beauty of the gospel in verses 16 and following. Look. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In other words, Paul is saying, you need to replace the law of God with the grace of God. And what does that mean practically? What does faith alone look like outside of the law? It looks like this. My security and assurance comes at looking at what God can do, not what I can do. Abraham looked at God and said, God can bring life into death. God can bring the existence of things that didn't exist before he does so. Faith looks at God. It doesn't look inward. It doesn't look downward. It looks upward. It looks outward. And it says, God is my Savior. I don't save myself. God saves me. And he can make me new again. And his promise is effective for me to be saved. That's why we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus and we say, Jesus can save me. He can forgive me. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he gives me new life. And the same God who created the whole world out of nothing is the same God who can recreate human beings out of nothing. And before we meet Jesus, we are nothing. But in the promise of Jesus and by grace, we are everything. I love those two words, and I would be negligent if I didn't point out two words in this text. The first word is the word promise. Circle that if you're taking notes. Promise. It's used three times in only verses 13 through 16 and more times in the whole passage of Romans chapter 4. And I love that word promise. Promise is the very opposite of human effort because promise comes from God. It's unconditional. It's a covenant. In fact, in my study of this great passage, I found two Greek words that could be translated promise. One Greek word is the kind of promise that you make mutually between another person. So you say, you know what? I promise that I'll do this if you do this. And if you do that, then I promise to do that. And so it's a promise that two people make to each other, right? That's a conditional promise. There's another Greek word that's used for promise. 
And it stands for a promise from one person that out of the goodness of their heart, they guarantee something outside of or unconditionally. The word that's being used here is the unconditional promise Greek word. That God makes this unconditional promise that's rooted in his goodness. That's why Paul says, second word, that the promise rests on grace. This unconditional, undeserved, unearned gift of salvation. By faith, we are confident that God will come through on his unconditional promise of salvation fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Our faith rests on grace and not works. Our faith rests on grace and not law. Our faith rests on grace and not religiosity. We look outside of what we can do and say, God has done it all in Jesus Christ. It rests on what God has provided for me. And I believe God and I don't depend on Self. You can be saved and be secured by saying, God brings life to the dead through Jesus Christ. That is how Abraham was made the father of many nations, and that's how we belong to Abraham. Not because Abraham was some heroic, legendary person in the Bible put tights on him and an S and a cape and let him fly, kind of hero. No, Abraham was saved by grace. He believed in the promise of miraculous son. He looked only to God. And so by that faith, our similar faith, we're made right with God. You see, justification comes by faith alone, not circumcision, not law, but on grace. Let me finish out this passage, though, and look at a third idea Justification comes by faith alone, not circumcision, not law, but also not self-worth, which kind of goes with those concepts of law and circumcision, but it really begins to look inward. Look at verse 18. I love this verse. I didn't like it at first because it was so confusing, but now I like it because I think I understand it. It, It says here about Abraham, in hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, and he quotes Genesis 15:5, so shall your offspring be. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? In hope, he believed against hope. And what I found out, it's like, that's really strange, sounds contradictory. But what's happening is, is, is it's talking about two contrasting types of hope. The first hope is hope in humanity itself or hum- humanity's kind of hope, a kind of wishing it, a, ho- hope, a kind of a, a wish it happens or a, a hope so it happens. In fact, hope, there's a human hope that depends on self and says, I hope I can pull this together. I hope I can get this done. But then the other hope is a security and assurance that comes because of God's worth and God's power. What it's saying is that Abraham refused to look to his own self-worth or his own resources or his own inner kind of innate abilities. He refused to do that, and he believed in the hope that depended on God. Look at how he continues to develop this, verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness 
of Sarah's womb. You see, when Abraham did look at his own resources, when he did look within, when he did look at his own worth, you know what he found? He found deadness. He, he found barrenness. And, of course, the promise was God said, I'm going to give you a miraculous son. And David said, well, I'm 100 years old. Sarah's barren. There's no way she can have a baby. She couldn't, she couldn't even have a baby when she was of age to have a baby. And now she's way beyond the age of having a baby. And so not only is she barren, but she's old. If Abraham looked to his own worth or his own abilities, there was no special pill to help him out with that one. You know what I'm saying? No Cialis. I thought, now that was funny. I don't care. <laughs> you guys are just being stingy now. There was nothing he could do. God said, you're going to have a son. And he looked at himself and he said, I can't do this. If I look to myself, I'm not going to be able to do this. But when he looked out, he saw a powerful God who could do it. Who could make this happen. You see, his faith depended not on self-worth or self-resources or self-help or being a champion every single day or all of those things. Faith says, no, I refuse to trust in myself and I will trust in what God can do that I cannot do. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver. Now, of course, he did have days of unbelief and anybody would. And we're all like Abraham. Our faith is incomplete and imperfect. He had desperate moments of failure of unbelief, but it didn't make him waver at the core of his being. He kept coming back to a persevering faith in God. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. In fact, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Listen to me. Our glory does not come at looking at our own glory. Our glory comes when we glorify the God who can accomplish the impossible, who is able to do all things, who makes us more than conquerors through him who loves us, who gives us strength. That comes from him. We give glory to God. Our solution is not to co-opt the gospel with some kind of psychological process of finding self-worth. Our, our solution is not to co-opt the gospel with the medicines of the world that try to make us better. No, no, no. We are looking to God to bring us life. We are believing in him to do the impossible. That's Abraham and the nature of faith, isn't it? You see, Christianity is an exchange. I give God myself and I die to self. Jesus said, you pick up your cross and you follow me. Jesus said, he who loses his life will find it. That is, you lose your own worth. You lose your own need to be God or in control or to perform. And you surrender to the one who does it all. That's Abraham. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. You see Paul bringing this idea of looking to God's worth and not our own worth to accomplish what God wants to in our life, including salvation and everything else is by faith. This is normal behavior for a believer is to believe like Abraham. Verse 22, he brings it from the history of Abraham into our own life. And Paul begins to preach the application. Look at it. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, 
but for ours also. God's game plan has always been the same. It's never changed. It will be counted, he goes on to say, to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord and was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, all the promises of Abraham are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are believing in what God can do to make us right with himself, even though we don't deserve to be right with God. And what we do is we look to Jesus as the miraculous son who was born, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who then died on the cross to acquit us of our sins, who died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserved. And by believing that Jesus died for our sins, we are made right with God. Not through religion, but through Jesus. Not through ritual, but through Jesus. Not through our own efforts or performance, but through Jesus. And when we ask ourselves, well, how do I know that Jesus' death is more than enough to make me right with God? Because he defeated death, and on the third day he was raised. And in that resurrection, our justification is proved. We believe in Jesus... And we know that Jesus is the way to God because he defeated death. Buddha didn't defeat death. Muhammad didn't defeat death. Any celebrity you look to in sports or music or celebrity or in the irreligious world didn't defeat death. Everyone dies. One has lived. And in his resurrection is humanity's hope. And you believe in Jesus the way Abraham believed that Isaac would come. You believe in Jesus as your righteousness because you ain't got enough righteousness to give to God. You believe in Jesus because he fulfilled the law. You believe in Jesus because Colossians says he is our circumcision. When he died on the cross, he was the one that took the filth away and cut it off from our life. Jesus is the circumcision of God. Jesus is the law of God. Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is our hope. And he proves to us that God can make all things new. And he is making all things new. He will bring a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be his family through, it, through Father Abraham. Abraham will have a family of Gentiles and Jews who believed in Jesus. And we will be in the kingdom worshiping God together. And we will return to Eden. We will return to the garden. We will return to that glory that we had before Adam and Eve fell. And there'll be no sickness and there'll be no death and there'll be no confusion and there'll be no worry and there'll be no anxiety. There will be none of those things. It will all be new because of Jesus. And if you're looking to religion to get you that, it's not going to work. If you're looking to your performance to get you that, it's not going to work. You've got to look outside of yourself and you've got to see Jesus. You see, that is why Abraham is our father. We are justified by faith alone in Jesus alone. Not circumcision, not law, not self-worth. It's Jesus alone that will save us. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Let us pray.